Hey, it's the bonus episode of Madison Story Slam Childhood Memories. We had so many good stories that we didn't want to keep them all from you or any of them from you. We want you to hear every single one. So this is just the bonus uh, episode so that you can hear the last five stories. We've got a good one about bees in here and all these scary things that childhood brings. I know I was terrified of bees. Uh, just a reminder again, uh, our next Story Slam is April 18th. That's Saturday, April 18th. We'll be at the Wilmar Center again. And our theme is, It Wasn't My Fault. Hope to see you there. Enjoy these last five stories and continue being awesome. James joining, on, joining me on stage because we're going to do another uh, raffle ticket drawing. But before we do that, real quick, we're going to decide what next month's theme is going to be. And instead of having you all call it out like we normally do on Facebook, I asked people to suggest what the next month's theme should be. That's how we'll do it from now on because when everybody yells out, it's really confusing. So I chose two of my favorites, but before I choose, somebody suggested locked in a bathroom. <laughs> That's not in the running, because I feel like we've got one story for sure, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many uh, stories we'd really have. Uh, But my favorites were Hold My Beer, and also It Wasn't My Fault. So, if you like Hold My Beer, give me a round of applause. I'm pretty sure I know which one's going to win. If you like It Wasn't My Fault, give me a round of applause. Okay, so next month, uh, it's the third Saturday of the month, which I'm not sure I'll remind you what the actual date is, but third Saturday of uh, April. The theme will be, it wasn't my fault. Uh, so thank you to, I believe it was Dan McHugh who uh, suggested that theme. It's a pretty good theme. Our next storyteller is Kate, and she's really awesome. I often confuse her for another friend of mine. Kate, make your way up here while I'm stalling. Uh, so her name is Kate. She's very cool. Everybody, put your hands together for Kate Rifkin. Okay, so Adam told me this has to be a quickie, so you're all along for this ride. Um, So to start this story off, um, I was a very imaginative child when I was younger. When I was six, I believed that my, well, when I was six, my uncle passed away from lung cancer, and I was very convinced that he was living in a piece of Chex Mix. And I carried this piece of Chex Mix around with me everywhere I went. I broke off one little piece for the door so we could come in and out. My mom is a child psychologist. I don't know why she didn't send me anywhere. (laughs) Um, But my imagination turned into kind of mischief as I got older. I used to find the presents that my mom had bought for um, either friends or my brothers, and I would cut holes in the back and take out what I wanted. So I'd take out like the littlest puppy from the puppy set, or sometimes I'd take out stuffing from things. I don't know if that's a hoarder personality, maybe it is. Um, But so when I got into fifth grade, it was barn bought mitzvah season starting time, because I had friends who were two years older than me. So that was super exciting for me, because my favorite thing was to switch the wine and the grape juice after the ceremonies. That was great. I also, we, me and my friends hated the caterer. Um, she was, I don't even know why we hated her, but she was really mean to us. Um, so I used to switch the sugar and the salt bowls too during bar and bat mitzvahs. Um, one time we took cherries, the maraschino cherries, and we rolled them in the butter, and then we rolled them in the salt, and then we set them all in a line. And I just remember she was furious at us, and she, 
I, I think we maybe got kicked out at the end of that, or they told us to go home early or called our parents, but, um, which is weird for me because I'm not that kind of person normally, so it might have been the barn bomb mitzvahs that brought it out. Um, but uh, the other thing that we do, and I loved about the bar and bar mitzvahs, was we got to throw candy. And I don't know if anyone is, has been in a bar and bar mitzvah and has seen this tradition, but you throw candy at the end of one at the person who has been bar and bar mitzvah. It used to be hard candy. They changed that rule to soft candy. <laughs> because of that reason of the throwing the... Yeah, I think you all get the point there. Um, uh, so um, the, my bar and bar, or my bar mitzvah... Uh, I was the cool kid who thought I was awesome with the braces, and I got cornrows for my bat mitzvah. It was, uh, <laughs> it was all the rage, apparently, back in seventh grade. Um, I thought I was really cool. Um, so we had a bunch of these to go to. The, my older brother also had his bar mitzvah. Uh, so going to that one, I just remember the biggest meltdown at that bar mitzvah um, we he had it at a at a um, he had a reception afterwards in the temple there, and we were all uh, I had forgotten my shoes I think I don't really know how this happened but I ended up sobbing uh, in the bathroom and I think this was after we had switched the wine or something so there's something had already happened earlier in the night that we got in trouble and my friend comes in to the bathroom you know because I'm crying I'm sobbing I forgot my shoes so I can't walk out this is while I'm wearing a dress with a t-shirt under it because that was a cool thing then too um, and she says oh well here let's let's have some lotion that'll make you feel better so she starts squirting a little lotion in her hand and I was like oh okay so I, we do like a high five and the lotion goes everywhere and we're like oh this is fun and so we take the lotion bottle they're like these giant ones like this tall and we start holding them and we're just pumping we're like yeah i'm gonna get you like like water guns but with lotion bottles and and we think this is the best fun i'm barefoot i don't have shoes on i'm wearing a dress with polka dots that goes down to here and a t-shirt a white t-shirt underneath um and so we're we're having fun where i'm not crying anymore and in walks the caterer (laughs) she takes one look at us and like i swear i can see red in her eyes (laughs) and that's my story Thank you, Kate. All right, judges, please write down the last name of our next storyteller because the storyteller after this one also has the same first name. So please give it up for Phil Doe. Phil Doe. Let's keep it going until he's on stage. Just keep clapping. It's Phil Doe. Thank you. All right, I'm going to try to keep mine quick, too. Um, so a couple of people have started their stories by talking about, you know, the sand lot, the sand lot as the idealized, like, childhood crew or whatever. And a couple of other people have said, you know, in our childhood, we tend to over-exaggerate our memories and stuff. Fuck that. My childhood had the ideal better than the sand lot crew. We were called the neighborhood boys, okay? <laughs> so us neighborhood boys uh, had one thing... Uh, different than the Sandlot crew, and that's that none of us were athletic at all. So when you have a group of tight guys, the neighborhood boys, we all get together, we're like, oh man, what do you want to do? It's like, I don't know, pick a bunch of dandelions and put them in the middle of the street. <laughs> what? Yes, okay. <laughs> so we, we just do weird shit like that, because we don't have, you know, the muscles to do the normal things. So... So we're doing all this weird stuff, and uh, as we got older, uh, the weirdness turned to, like, 
borderline destructive, I guess. Uh, some, some examples, you know, the traditional, like, put a wallet on a fishing pole, cast it in front of people walking around, and, like, drag it along and stuff like that. Uh, that evolved into, uh, you know, fire hydrants have those springy things, flags on them. No, not where you're from. Well, they had it where I'm from. So we'd take teddy bears, we'd put it on that, tie something to the end of it, a car would come by, we'd snip the wire, whoosh, teddy bear flies into the street, car goes nuts. We didn't kill anyone there, so that's good. Um, uh, It got even crazier. We'd take uh, golf balls, we'd cover them in rubber cement, we'd light them on fire, and we'd hit them into the neighborhood. I'm not even fucking like, <laughs> that's arson, murder, there's so much bad things that can happen. But no, we somehow got away with it. Um, one of the uh, particularly interesting things we did is uh, at the end of our driveway, so like, my house was like the home base for the neighborhood boys, uh, one of the things we had there was uh, this the sewer system, so just the runoff from the streets. And there's this big tunnel that went under our thing, under our driveway, and it snaked throughout the entire neighborhood and stuff like that. And one day, we got it was shortly after the Fourth of July. We got these big smoke bombs. They're called smoke in a can. It's like thick smoke, like thicker than a smoke machine for a solid five minutes. Like yellow and red and purple and stuff. So we thought we'd do like some Italian job shit and like plan all this out and be like, okay, you go in the tunnel here. And like we made a map of the underground tunnel and whatever. We all separated, you know, throughout the entire neighborhood. We lit them all. So all we have like ten of these smoke bombs. So we light them and we all come back. And we're like, yeah, we did it. Okay. <laughs> then we go go back to our house. Wasn't that exciting until we realized that this colored smoke, I don't know why we didn't think like this was definitely going to happen, started coming out of the sewers all around town. And so if you didn't if you weren't the one lighting the smoke bomb, that looks suspicious. So uh, it turns out our neighbors, you know, had that and they're like, "Oh, this is suspicious. We should call some people." So our entire neighborhood was covered in ambulances, fire trucks, and people in hazmat suits walking around, like, ringing doorbells, like, trying to figure out what's going on. And I I was, like, young at the time, and I had these, like, sweet black pants with, like, a yellow stripe down the side. And... And my brother was like, yo, dude, like, that's the kind of thing police look for. (laughs) Someone probably saw you running away. You got to burn those. I was like, oh, shit. So I wasn't quite resourceful enough to burn them. I just hid them really far under my bed for like eight months or something. But at the end of the day, the hazmat suits uh, went away and got away scot-free. So moral of the story is smoke bombs are pretty rad. All right. Thank you, Phil. I'm not getting on stage because the other Phil is coming up right now, or at least he should be. He's taking his sweet-ass time. Uh, If you've played craps, you've played with his last name. Give it up for Phil Dice. Okay, okay, we can hear me. So this story starts, well, I'm just going to give you a quick preview. This is middle school, and my, like, crew 
was we weren't the popular kids, but we weren't like the super awkward kids. Like we were kind of, you know, a mediator group. You know, we'd send messages for, no, that didn't actually happen. But so our group kind of, we didn't play football at recess. We kind of invented our own games. And eventually they, so no one would originally play with us because they were like, what the, what the fuck are these kids doing? So one of the games we did was, uh, it was just called header. You take one of those like kickballs and you just throw it on the playground and try and head it as many times as you can because we were kids and that's what kids do. And eventually everyone was like, yeah, we'll play this. So that was like the game in sixth grade. People would play header. In seventh grade, it was basically kickball except with a tennis ball because that's cooler. You know, we were weird, kind of weird group. So tennis ball, kickball. But in eighth, well, I'm getting to the real part of the story here. This story has to do with bees. And what that stands for, let me tell you. So, for some reason, we thought it would be cool. You know, we weren't super popular, but, you know, it was a very small school and there were, you know, not many cliques or anything like that. So, in eighth grade, we thought it would be cool to be bee hunters. Whatever that means. Well, I'll tell you actually what it means. It means we would go and. I'm sorry, like PETA. I don't know if people like insects from PETA or whatever, but like we fucking murdered bees. Like that was, I don't know why we did. And I'm wearing this jacket right now. I'm going to have to take this off. It's a prop and it's also to cover, I just have huge sweat stains, but you know, that's just me. I'm Captain America and I do stuff, so it's fine. Anyways, so we have this bee killing group, right? And we're like, we're just going to protect the cool kids and like all the kids because bees, fuck bees. You'll see why soon. (laughs) Fuck bees. Although we would not exist as a race without them, but you know, so bees. All right. So we have, we use those spin jammer frisbees to like smack them. You know, that was our main tool, like the weapon of choice. But this kid, Chris, my friend, Chris, all right, is this going to make a huge noise? He would take off his jacket, and it was like a blend of color guard and 300, and he would just... <laughs> and he kill... Oh, okay, Mike, right. His kill counts were just off the charts. Like, this was before Halo and shit, but KD ratio, he's still alive, so it's like infinity right now. All right, so... Anyways, so he is just murdering these bees, and it's like, all right, one of the bees is going to fight back because, you know, we all have, we're all in the positives, you know, other team blowing ass noobs, you know, call them whatever. So, you know, bees, but the bees are plotting, and this is where it gets a little scary. So it's eighth grade, and the bees, and Nicolas Cage would be proud because if if I was in Wicker Man, I would have helped that man out. All right, so the bees are coming. Okay, no, sorry. So anyways, we're doing our bee killing stuff, and I'm going around. I have, like, the spin jammer frisbee. I got to finish up. Okay. I have the spin jammer frisbee, and all of a sudden, bee flies into my mouth, stings me on the tongue, and I spit it out and stomp on it, and everyone's in the recess, you know, playing, and I have to be like shit, I gotta be cool, you know, and everyone's like, what's happened? So I just, like, do a dance move, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm cool, and everyone's asking what happened, I'm like, mm, 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 run to the nurse's office, I gotta wrap this up, run to the nurse's office, get ice on it, I'm okay, go to the doctor, I, I start, you know, my throat swells up, almost dying, all the doctors rush in, EpiPen in the leg, carry one with me every day, Moral of the story, don't fuck with nature. It will fuck you way harder. Fuck bees.
Thank you, Phil. I don't know how many of you have told a story at a thing where people are recording a podcast, but uh, laying the microphone down on the floor and continuing to talking is a for surefire way to make sure your story will not make the podcast. <laughs> However, Phil, it was a good story. Come on, clap. One more. Oh, there you go. Okay. Really quick, is Steven Banner still here? Steven? Give it up for Steven! Uh, so when I was in uh, just finishing up middle school, I got a, a new bike. This is an, an orange mongoose. It had uh, 21 speeds. And um, I don't remember. I, I used to ride it around town a lot because I grew up in the suburbs. And it's like just far enough to into town that you kind of need a bike in order to get there in any timely fashion. Um, so in high school, I spent the first uh, four months of high school basically by myself, not talking to anybody. But after that, um, I made some friends, and we all just rode bikes around town all the time. Uh, And I decided that I wanted to decorate my bike. So I decorated my bike with a roll of duct tape, which I covered it in, just kind of just all over it, just duct tape on the the frame and the handlebars uh, and just the entire thing. Uh, And then I spray painted it. And I spray painted it, I think it was just red and black and green. No particular, like, picture or patterns or anything, just disgusting mess of colors all over it. Um, And I also made a a duct tape pocket for the side of it, to carry around VHS tapes in uh, because because I didn't own a DVD player at the time and VHS tapes still existed um, and uh, so that was great and um, in particular uh, my friends and I used to actually uh, we had one movie that we watched all the time that every time we met someone new we always brought them over to my house and and we always made them watch this movie it was the 2004 remake of dawn of the dead um and it was the greatest movie of all time as far as we were concerned but uh so anyway so it eventually of course like all things do this bike started to fall apart um the seat wouldn't uh, stay up. It just kept on sliding down to the lowest possible position, which was too low. So I, again, fixed it with duct tape. Um, I actually, I just wrapped duct tape around the, the shaft of the seat so that it, it would get stuck. Um, and that solved the problem. So uh, then uh, also the, the chain would fall off the gears at inopportune moments. Anytime I tried to accelerate quickly, really. Um, like, you know, if you were just about to try and cross a street uh, or an intersection. Um, so that was great. Uh, the handlebars started to kind of wobble and not really stick that closely with the we- with the front wheel. Um, the seat would spin randomly. Um, and uh, also, I... Started. I played a, a couple times uh, with my friend Alex. We played dirt bike derby, uh, where we just uh, went on like a green field and just rammed each other's bikes uh, with each other. Uh, and it's great because it's the kind of thing where you start out, you know, going real slow because you don't want to damage the bikes, and so you don't get up to like really 
you know, terrible speeds. Um, but then, of course, you haven't damaged the bikes yet, so you know you can go a little faster. Um, and uh, by the time that was over, uh, both of my wheels were bent. So, like, every time I, every, as I was biking, you know, the wheels would rub up against the brakes every time they went around. Uh, so that made it a lot more difficult to ride. Uh, but what actually finally killed this bike, um, I actually have no explanation for. Because what finally killed it was, uh, one day, I used to just, like, whenever my friends and I had free periods, we would just ride around in the parking lot outside the school. Um, on our bikes, and so I would, uh, I let my friends know the combination to my lock, um, and one day I came out, and my bike, the fork piece, was actually bent back so far that the front wheel came in between the pedals, uh, and I have no explanation for how this happened. All of my friends, to this day, deny that they had anything to do with it, um, but I took it to the bike shop, and asked them if there was anything that they could do about it, and the guy looking at it says, what, did you run this thing straight into a brick wall? And then the guy behind the counter, looking over the counter, goes, yeah, 40 miles an hour? Um, so anyway, I, I tried to convince my mom that I could fix this with duct tape. <laughs> Uh, but she wouldn't let me do it. So, unfortunately, that, that was the death of that bike. So, thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you, sir. We have one last story. One last storyteller. Brooke, are you still here? Yeah. All right. Everybody, put your hands together for Brooke. Hi everybody, my name is Brooke. Um, I wasn't planning on telling a story tonight, so I want to thank you for being such an awesome audience and inspiring me about telling me a childhood story. Um, before I tell my story, it's about how I found out Santa Claus wasn't real. Um, I want to mention, I feel a responsibility about something that David mentioned recent, uh, recently was about hot lava. Um, I just want to say you're never too old to play hot lava. It's when the floor is lava and everything else um, is safe to jump onto. But when I was really young, uh, I was playing playing that game and ended up getting nine stitches in my tongue from that. So if you do play that game, um, sometimes when you think you can leap as far as you can, you can't. So if you are going to play that, um, just please be safe because it is a dangerous game. Um, so my story is about how I found out Santa Claus wasn't real. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, disclaimer, if you don't already know. Um, so my parents, and when I really say my parents, I really mean my mom, was really into the magic of Christmas and wanted her children to believe in Santa Claus. Um, we would do little things like paint little clay pots for all the nine reindeer and paint their little names and put them on, type, on top of the roof for the reindeer to eat carrots um, for when we would go to sleep. So we'd make individual clay pots, put in carrots, and some of the reindeers liked uh, little treats in their pots like peppermint mints or little chocolates. Dancer really liked chocolates. Uh, Prancer really liked a uh, little peppermint. These were the kind of things that my mom did to make sure that her children believed in Santa Claus. Um, one Christmas, so my family is like really into 
being healthy, and we always drank skim, skim milk for Christmas. And one Christmas, when we we would uh, write Santa Claus a little note, like, this is what we want for Christmas, and put on the clay pots. And one Christmas, Santa Claus wrote uh, back a note to the Cheatham family, and they said, uh, Dear Cheatham family, we I really appreciate the skim milk, but I really appreciate whole milk more. So... Um, if you do that for the future, that'd really be great. And even though no one in my family drank whole milk, every Christmas after that, we would buy whole milk for Christmas for Santa Claus to drink. Uh, so I, we would always do whatever Santa Claus asked. <laughs> and um, so one Christmas when I woke up in the morning, my mom was like, really upset and she was like Brooke did you see what Santa Claus did and I was like no and I looked at the fireplace and from the fireplace to the Christmas tree were little boot prints that he had left from coming out of the fireplace with ashes for when he had left the Christmas presents so she goes up and she's sweeping all over the place being really upset that he didn't clean up after after himself and these are the kind of things that my mom did after her children had gone to sleep to convince us that Santa Claus was real. (laughs) So around this time, um, and I guess I should backtrack a little bit, um, my mom's Christian and my dad is Jewish. And when they decided to raise um, my brother and me, they like, we'll just let um, our children believe in whatever they wanted. And we did celebrate Christmas. And so around this time, I'm starting to question what I believe in. And so my eight-year-old brain is asking myself, and I'm like, well, I don't really know if I believe in God, but I know I believe in Santa Claus. (laughs) So... I guess if Santa Claus is real, like, it makes sense that God is real. So I, like, made this hypothesis in my mind and didn't really tell my parents. And all my, like, friends, I'm, like, eight years old at this time, and they're like, Brooke, Santa Claus isn't real. Like, why don't you, why do you believe in him? And I'm like, but all these things have been happening. And, like, (laughs) I really think it's true. And every Christmas, um, we would go to the mall and I would sit on Santa Claus's lap. So this Christmas, when I've, you know, questioning my faith and what I believe in, I'm sitting on Santa Claus's lap and he's like, hi, little girl, like, what do you want for Christmas? And I was like, I want a baby. He's like, you're too young to have a baby. And I'm like, no, 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 Santa Claus, I want a, want a baby doll. And he was like, oh, okay. And my mom's standing there listening at like what I'm saying. So she goes out and she buys one of those anatomically correct baby dolls with like the little penis and everything. And um, Christmas morning rolls around and she's like, Brooke, it's um, it's time uh, to get your gift from Santa Claus, and I'm super excited. And so I run downstairs, and she's like, "Here's the gift from Santa." So I open up the the gift, and I open up, and there lies a anatomically correct baby doll. But then I look on the gift, and I see this white piece of paper, and I see it's a receipt with my mom's signature on it. 
and I get one of those feelings in my throat, you know, when you're about to, to cry, and I crumple it up, and I run up into my bedroom, and I shut the door, and I open up my diary, and I'm writing, and I'm like, this is the worst day of my life. I found out that Santa Claus isn't real. I'm writing the diary, and I'm like, if you don't want to be naive anymore, then turn the next page. And I still have this diary. And in the diary, stapled is the receipt. (laughs) With my mom's signature. And sadly to say, after that day, my family never bought whole milk anymore. Thank you. Well, there you go. There's the bonus episode. I'm sure you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of Madison Story Slam. Uh, Hey, why don't you head over to www.madisonstoryslam.com. From there, you can find links to all of us, all of our social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, You'll also be able to um, help support the podcast if you go to the support page and look. We're on Patreon. And also, you can click through to Amazon. If you've got something you want to buy, just go to our website, click through to Amazon, buy it, and we get a percentage of the sale. No extra cost to you, and it helps support what we do. Again, thanks for listening, uh, and be cool. 